2: Yeah. Welcome back to Car Radio. You're on 910 AM, the Superstation. I'm Henry Payne, auto columnist for the Detroit News. Great to have you on for our second hour today. And here at Car Radio, we cover all aspects of the auto industry. Uh, We uh, cover product. uh, We cover racing. uh, We cover uh, the regulatory environment. There is no more heavily regulated product in the United States uh, than the automobile And uh, and that has been increasingly relevant uh, for this industry uh, in the last year as the uh, green movement has really targeted the uh, automobile um, as part of its climate change uh, agenda. And uh, for the first time, uh, you have uh, governments now in places like California, uh, Washington State, and now with the new administration coming into Washington, D.C., mandating – what drivetrains should be in uh, automobiles? Uh, that's an extraordinary uh, development. Uh, there's always been uh, re- regulation involved with uh, emissions, uh, governing miles, miles per gallon, and whatnot. But you've never had governments now dictating that drivetrains have to be electric, and uh, that, of course, uh, brings to bear the question: How much do automobiles uh, contribute to? uh... global emissions, uh, and and is that even a problem uh, we we talk regularly here on the program with james taylor who is the president of the Heartland institute and uh... heartland has put together their annual uh... international conference on climate change it's going to be in las vegas uh... later this year october fifteen and seventeen uh... james how are you
0: well oh, doing well henry thank you for having me on again
2: yeah great to have you on the conference theme uh, this year at the um, Hartle Institute's uh, International Conference on Climate Change is the Great Reset, Climate Realism versus Climate Socialism. And uh, we, we really are seeing a, a big push here uh, by the Biden administration uh, aimed at uh, automobiles. You have um, you, you have big pronouncements coming out of companies like General Motors that are promising to uh, eliminate the electric vehicle by 2035, and by states like Washington state saying they're going to ban the gas engine by 2030. Uh, what do you make of all this?
0: Well, there's, there's quite a bit to cover there, unfortunately. But first of all, regarding the Great Reset, uh, this is, we, we titled our conference this, because the World Economic Forum uh, is promoting very heavily their agenda, which they call the Great Reset of Capitalism. In which they seek to quote redefine capitalism not to be free market capitalism the way you and I understand it to be, but to be a system by which quote stakeholders and people affected by capitalism get to tell businesses, companies, and individuals what economic activity they can engage in and how they do it so we 're calling attention to that, and as far as um, as far as the uh, electrification of vehicles and the government mandates what's really interesting about this is we've seen just here in the past week where the state of california is warning and advising the people in state who have electric vehicles not to charge them when there is warm temperatures when there's pressure on the grid so that's right that
2: was uh, yes. yeah what, that, what, what, what agency was that coming out of in uh california
0: I forget which particular agency, but you can read about it on our website, climaterealism.com. And, uh, yes, they're saying that due to strain on the grid during warm temperatures, uh, they advise you not to be uh, charging a car except during certain times and to a certain extent. So if you're buying an electric vehicle, uh, you may or may not be able to drive it when you please. <laughs> that's, uh, that's really interesting. We've, uh, there's a lot of goofy stuff. Uh,
2: going on these days. Uh, We had the President of the United States tell us uh, uh, this month that the greatest national security threat we face is carbon dioxide uh, here in the state of Michigan, which is one of the major manufacturing states uh, in the United States uh, with a lot of these auto plants we've been talking about on this show earlier uh, pumping out a lot of product. The uh, biggest utility, DTE Energy, This week said that they are going to uh, close their coal plants. And a coal plant, a coal plant, a nuclear plant, uh, pretty much power Southeast Michigan and all these big auto plants uh, down here. Uh, They say they can power all this stuff with windmills and natural gas. What do you, what do
0: you say? Well, that's simply not going to happen. uh, As it is, just to meet. What the Biden administration's goals are for uh, for electricity production and transportation, you would have to literally carpet half of the nation with wind turbines. That's from a Harvard University peer-reviewed study. I'm not making it up. Half the nation would be carpeted with wind turbines just to meet conventional electricity and transportation needs. If there's no increase in our demand, and now if you're going to add on industry, uh, large industry, etc., it goes higher than that. Um, What we're looking at really is a situation where you have politicians today trying to curry political favor by making promises of pixie dust and unicorns that are never going to happen. We simply cannot do this. But they won't be around to answer the questions for either why we weren't able to uh, install so many wind turbines or why they didn't tell us how environmentally disastrous the consequences would be. They would already have left office and, uh, and had their good time.
2: Well, and, and, we, and we're see, seeing some of the consequences uh, right now. Um, you mentioned California, uh, another state that has been struggling with its power grid. Is Texas, Texas of all places? I mean, they, these are two very different uh, red and blue states, and yet uh, Texas had had uh, they, they had problems earlier this year in sort of a freakish um, cold snap. Um, last winter, a uh, very unusual cold snap. But now, as we're rolling into the the hot Texas summer, uh, we're hearing they're experiencing problems again.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because many of uh, your listeners may have heard back when the Texas cold snap occurred, the environmentalist propaganda that climate change makes for more extreme weather events. And because this was an extreme cold event, climate change made it more likely to happen. But when you actually look at the data, and again, we wrote about this on climaterealism.com. Listeners can can uh, read the article for, for yourselves. Uh, we showed that according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's objective data, extreme cold events in Texas and really throughout the entirety of the southern United States have become less frequent and less severe as we've had our modest and beneficial global warming. Now, these events have always occurred from time to time. Global warming is not going to magically make them disappear overnight, but they become less frequent and less severe. So, when you do still occasionally have one of these events, uh, it, to blame it on global warming is counterfactual. And also it gets to the point earlier, you mentioned where we're being told by Joe Biden and others that global warming is the greatest national security threat. What we see overall, again, with objective data uh, from the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, we see that food production sets new records virtually every year as the earth warms and as there's more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. We see a greening of the earth that's measured by satellites. We see a shrinking of deserts. The logic that global warming is the greatest national security threat rests on the fact that the earth is getting so wonderful that people may get greedy about it and start fighting for all the new bounty, which I guess really what they're saying is that we really should be seeking an earth in which there's less food, less good things to, uh, to make our lives happier, because therefore we won't be fighting over them.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really interesting point, too, because uh, we've seen a lot of alarming statements uh, over the last uh, decades uh, as, as the threat evolved from global freezing to the current uh, global warming to uh, climate change, but one of those one of those threats, um, a, uh, a gentleman named Ehrlich, I think, was most prominent uh, in predicting that we would have uh, uh, major global starvation by the turn of the century by 2000. Uh, 2000 came and went, and. Uh, We've had quite the opposite, as you said. Uh, we're, we're, we're seeing record uh, uh, production out of uh, out of uh, agriculture.
0: Right, right. And, and they've been making those claims, Paul Ehrlich uh, in the early 1970s. Paul Ehrlich, yeah. 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 The United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change in their very first assessment report on global warming back in 1990. Uh, they warned that we would be facing mass global starvation, within a decade or two, certainly before now, and yet when their facts are proven, or when the facts prove their predictions wrong, and we see that we have global records being set nearly every year, both in terms of yields per acre and total production, at what point do the media call the alarmists the science deniers? Because everything they say has been contradicted by facts. First they say, no, we, we warn you, it's really going to happen. Then five years later, no, no, we really, really mean it this time. Then 10 years later, we really, really, really mean it this time. And now we're at about the sixth really. And yet some, somehow for some reason we're expected scientific principles and laws are suddenly going to change and crops are going to become more difficult to grow for some reason that has never occurred yet. Yeah. Yeah, my,
2: uh, I must say my profession is very good at calling out Tesla, for example, when they miss their production uh, targets um uh, uh, but uh, they're not so good at uh, calling out uh climate alarmists when they uh, when when they they predict these uh, horrible things are going to happen and uh, and and they don't occur uh, you know going back to uh, Paul Ehrlich going back to Al Gore uh, over 30 years ago none of those uh, uh alarmist um uh, those statements have come to uh, come to prove uh, right here in our backyard in Michigan. Uh, the Great Lakes were predicted to dry up 30 years ago, and we're looking at uh, uh, some of the h- highest uh, lake levels we've ever seen. So, uh, good news on that front. Uh, James, let me let me um, ask you this. I mean, if, if, obviously the auto industry is in a very tight spot. Uh, you got to sell cars to customers at the same time you got to meet uh, government regulations. Uh, one, one of the uh, taglines that's very popular in the auto industry is to say that electric vehicles are low emiss- are, are zero emissions vehicles.
0: Uh, is that true? Well, only if you're looking at the end product that comes out of the tailpipe, but the manufacture of the batteries and equipment is heavily intensive for carbon dioxide emissions. Moreover, carbon dioxide emissions are only the point of the spear as far as overall environmental impact. And what you need for the, for the batteries and the infrastructure, you must have tremendous mining of cobalt, lithium, rare earth minerals, which is about the most environmentally destructive practice there is, especially for rare earth minerals, because they're not concentrated in one place where you can dig a pit and there you have your production. Um, you also have, again, uh, for uh, uh, the, the transportation of the, uh, of, of the equipment, Most of these minerals and materials are mined uh, in Africa, in China, and elsewhere to bring them all to one place to manufacture them, primarily in China, to ship them to the United States. When you look at a whole cycle analysis of their emissions, in many regards, and according to several studies, it is more carbon dioxide intensive than conventional uh, automobiles. And again, that's only the tip of the spear, because when you look at overall environmental impact, they're much worse.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's fascinating and and obviously you know, when you're talking about uh global climate change you're talking about emissions from all sources. So just to just to pinpoint one source and say that zero emissions uh obviously that misses the point. There's uh been been big commitments here uh in the United States by uh, auto companies by General Motors uh, by Ford to build big battery plants here. Um, and and yet uh, we're we're hearing now from the Biden administration that uh, Greens don't want the minerals uh, sourced here because to your point they're they're very carbon intensive to get out of the ground. Uh, how does that work? I mean here we've we've worked for 50 years since the initial cafe laws to make the United States energy independent. Uh, We we have enormous resources now of oil inside this this, uh, country. Uh, Now we seem to be looking at dependency for uh, battery minerals.
0: Right, absolutely. And uh, it's not just uh, the carbon dioxide intensity of mining, but as the New York Times, as many environmental activist groups have pointed out, again, it's the mining itself Uh, of these materials, especially the rare earth minerals are necessary uh, for this equipment, that is is among the most toxic environmental practices that we know of. Because the minerals are so spread out, you have to mine and destroy so much land. And then the material itself is among the most toxic that is produced. So you have that leaching into the environment. Basically, there are very few places in the world that will subject their landscape and their citizens to such practices. China is one of them because they really don't care about their people. Uh, and, and, and to say that we're just going to source it here, again, is, is, is the environmental nightmare for people who are true environmentalists. If you were to, if you were to ask uh, anybody who was politically active in the 1960s whether they would love a program in which you have mining all over the place with the most toxic substances we can find with uh, very few ways to keep that in check, they would lose their minds. The hippie generation would, would, would absolutely throw a fit. And yet now we're told that this is environmentally friendly. It just makes no sense.
2: Yeah. Um, I want you to tell us a little bit about this climate conference uh, coming in Las Vegas. Uh, this is uh, October, late uh, late October. 17th. Yeah, there you go. And, um, yeah. and, uh, and you have some interesting keynote speakers there. One that really caught my eye is Patrick Moore. I think... Patrick Moore was one of the founders of Greenpeace, was
0: he not? Yes, indeed. Patrick Moore was indeed a co-founder of Greenpeace, one of the uh, most high-up instrumental people in its beginning and in its early years, back when Greenpeace was really concerned about protecting the environment rather than selling out to leftist and renewable energy industry agendas. Uh, So Patrick will be talking about, uh, he'll be probably mentioning to some degree his journey uh, from Greenpeace co-founder to activist for true environmentalism, which means opposing the, uh, fake global warming nonsense. When I say fake global warming, we're having some global warming, but we're not facing the crisis that we're told to believe. Uh, he's also an expert on, uh, uh oceans. Uh, the claimed ocean acidification, the claimed impacts on coral reefs. So he'll be speaking there. We're going to have it because of COVID. It's been a couple of years since we've had our climate conference, which we have roughly annually. This is going to be probably our most energetic, uh, information-filled session that we've ever had. People just can't wait to get the word out. We've got several speakers who have recently published books. They'll be talking about their newest research and what the, uh, what, what the true information holds. And these are scientists. These are incredibly learned, and credentialed scientists from around the world. It's going to be a three-day conference, October 15th through 17th at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. I encourage listeners to go to heartland.org. You'll see a link for the climate conference where you can read more information and you can register. And by the way, we also have a video of our past climate conferences with the presentations there, so you can see just how professional and how impressive these speakers and the presentations are.
2: Yeah, it really is a, a comprehensive conference. Uh, I think Hartland Heart, Institute is the leading think tank in the country uh, studying uh, this, uh, these uh, uh, trends and this science. And, and uh, you, you have uh, luminaries, climatologists like Roy Spencer, Willie Soon. These are really the, some of the top names in the industry. Dr. Richard
0: Rapper from the Trump administration, yes.
2: Yeah, yeah, speaking to these issues. So, yeah, I really encourage people to uh, uh, not only go to the Heartland uh, website, but also uh, get to this conference if you, if you can. Every, we're opening up again, James. We've we got the cars back on Woodward Avenue up here, and Heartland's uh, climate conference is back in Las Vegas. That's good news.
0: Yes, indeed. He can't wait. Hope to see many of you there.
2: <laughs> All right, uh, James, thanks. Have a great weekend.
0: Thank you, Henry. Have a great one yourself.
2: That's James Taylor with the Heartland Institute, president of the Heartland Institute, uh, really good uh, learned place uh, to give, uh, give you the best information uh, on issues like uh, uh, climate policy and climate science. All right, we're going to take a break here, hear from our sponsors, and on the other side, we're going to be talking uh, uh, Honda Civic uh, with uh, Dan Calhoun. The uh, product manager of the all new 2022 Civic. You're on car radio.
3: Every home needs a computer in this new age of technology. Get a computer for only 200 bucks. Can't beat that price. Call All About Technology now at 313-218-4888. That's 313-218-4888. We're... All about technology. Detroit People's Platform works for real community benefit agreements, advocates and organizes for truly affordable housing and public transit that responds to the needs of Detroiters in the nation's largest majority Black city. Make your plan today to vote absentee or at the polls in the primary election on Tuesday, August third. Because in 2021, majority Black Detroit deserves better. Visit DetroitPeople'sPlatform.org or follow us at Detroit People's on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to maintain, protect, and defend. Majority Black Detroit.
4: Join WFDF 9:10 a.m. Superstation as we will be bringing you the Rocket Mortgage Classic from the Detroit Golf Club. Listen live as returning champion Bryson DeChambeau plays against Ricky Fowler, Bubba Watson, Phil Mickelson, and the rest of the field. Tune in Thursday, July 1st and Friday, July 2nd from noon to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and Saturday, July 3rd and Sunday, July 4th from 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. You can only listen to the Rocket Mortgage Classic on 9, 10 a.m. or Sirius XM Radio. Listen up America Are you or a loved one suffering with an addiction to alcohol Opiates, prescription painkillers Or other drugs There is hope Medication assisted treatment is proven most effective For opiate addiction recovery Utilizing medications such as methadone Suboxone and Subutex Combined with inpatient treatment You can achieve lasting recovery Most insurance is accepted So call us now Please call 800-625-5860.
3: After January 14th, Microsoft will no longer provide security updates for Windows 7. Continued use will leave your PC vulnerable to security risks. Call All About Technology today at 313-218-4888. We're all about technology. We're on car radio with Henry Payne on the line with us. Cadillac Racing Program Manager Laura Clouser. How are
2: things looking down there at Daytona Raceway?
4: We've got a little bit of everything: the NASCAR team, an X
0: F One driver, or IndyCar, and then the Insta Crew that really take the machine and show everybody what it's made of.
2: Talking to Jim Morrison, who is the Jeep brand chief. I'm happy to report
4: that Grand Cherokee has been still a market leader for five years. We he held the highest loyalty, the best car radio program in all of radio you can only get it here on 910 AM Superstation. 910, the Superstation, Detroit's only African-American talk radio.
3: Riding along in my automobile, my baby beside me at the wheel. I stole a kiss at the turn of a mile. Curiosity running wild, cruising and playing the radio, with no particular place to go,
2: riding along in my automobile. Hi, right, welcome back to Car Radio. You're on 9, 10 a.m., the Superstation. To uh, wind up the program today, I've got uh, two great interviews for you. Uh, the first is with Dan Calhoun, who is the product manager for the new 2022 Honda Civic. Tremendous car. We we all expect the uh, new generation Civics to be good. This one, once again, is really good. We're going to talk to Dan about that, and then we'll finish up the program with a Best of Car radio segment. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot of Ford Bronco next week. I uh, wanted, wanted to uh, revisit the introduction of the Ford Bronco Sport, which is part of that Bronco family with Trevina Young marketing director for Broncos Sport over at Ford. Let's kick off with Dan Cal- Dan Calhoun here talking about the all new Honda Civic. All right, this is Henry Payne for 9:10 a.m. Uh, out in Chelsea, Michigan. Uh, just went to Helen back in a Honda Civic, which is a good good thing to do. Uh, Honda Civics are uh, uh, wonderful handling cars, and we got an all new one uh, in the market now. We're joined by Dan Calhoun, who is a product planner. For the Civic, Dan, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, great to uh, great to have you out here in uh, in Michigan. We're sitting in the new 2022 Honda Civic. This is the most popular model, the Sport. The car I just took to Helen back is the Touring. Which goes for about twenty-eight thousand uh, dollars. This sport goes for about twenty-three thousand dollars. I mean, it's amazing yes. what you can get for twenty-three thousand dollars these days.
5: Yeah, it's a great car. I mean, the the overall dynamics, the the, the styling, the interior accoutrements. It's really really a great car for twenty-three thousand dollars. And again, it's really popular with our young buyers. It's really good as a kind of that entry into our brand. So it really it really plays a great role for us. Uh, and, and you're different in that way. I
2: mean, we're we're in the, in Detroit Three country here. Uh, the Detroit Three have abandoned sedans entirely. Uh, pretty much left the field uh, to you guys uh, with Honda. The Honda Civic's the best retail selling compact sedan. Talk about that strategy a little bit. Why you guys are still so bullish on small sedans?
5: Well, the key thing is, you know, one thing about the Civic, it's it's number one for first time car buyers. It's tops with Gen Z, uh, Gen Y. Um, multicultural buyers, so it's really important to get those first-time buyers in. Right now, Civic is about 25% of our our buyers are first-time new car buyers, and and those first-time buyers have a tendency to gravitate to sedans. There's just that, there's a more youthful, a more fun-to-drive aspect to it. I mean, CUVs are great, but when it really comes to having fun and enjoying what a car can give you or a vehicle can give you, the car is really what it's all about, and Civic really, it provides a great stylish kind of uh, car for those kids to drive but it's also really good from the the, the dynamics it's really really a fun car to drive and it's very economical and fuel efficient yeah
2: it is but you you do have a a small uh, subcompact SUV in the market the HRV it's very good sells very well so it's interesting you say that first-time buyers are still attracted to the Civic I mean how how do the buyers between Civic and HRV tend to
5: differ there's a little bit of difference i think the the key thing with the hrv they, they need maybe a little bit more um versatility and function so they're maybe starting to think about a family or they've got a job where they like to put things in the back um, some people just like to sit up higher when they drive and whereas a car again you get a little bit more a little better dynamic performance it's a little a little more sporty attributes to it so they're both affordable in that respect but you get again that that more um, more into the style and the driving dynamics, and on the HRV side, a little bit more of the functionality and the versatility. So, I mean, even though the HRV is a, a nicely styled car, there's just a little bit more of that as the purchase reason behind the, the Civic.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I, yeah, my, my kids are car guys, so they, they're attracted to the Civic, but uh, there's the, the HRV option there as well. Uh, if they want it. So I, I was blown away by the 2016 Civic, the last gen, which was ninth generation. This one's the tenth? No.
5: The last was tenth. This is eleventh.
2: Okay. This is, <laughs> so the last one was tenth. And, uh, and when I review it, I always refer to it as King Civic, because uh, I think uh, everything in segment benchmark, the segment benchmarks to Civic. Not only in the number of trims that you guys offer, you go from the base Civic up to this incredible track monster called the Type R, but also interior room, uh, ch- chassis stiffness, uh, I think you guys are really the benchmark for, this, for the segment. So how do you improve on the 10th
5: generation Civic? Well, I think we go back to the team, we kind of take a look and say, okay, what are the things that Civic's been representative over the years? So when you look back, it's always been about driving dynamics, safety, uh, the economical aspect of it, of course, and then that overall kind of style and from the exterior standpoint. But then on the interior, it's always been about very, very simple, very easy to use, um, great visibility. So it's it's kind of an overall package of, of just Providing kind of that best overall experience for the customer
2: the as, as I get into Compact sedans these days. There's very good competition in this segment the Hyundai Elantra uh, For example, I'm, I'm really struck by how much the gap between luxury and mainstream is narrowing And you see it in this car um, you got standard adaptive cruise control. You have uh, a, a, a horizontal uh, uh, dash here that would not be out of place on a luxury car, uh, you know, maybe two generations ago. Uh, do, are you guys aware of, of how much style electronics are narrowing between these two uh, mainstream luxury
5: classes? <laughs> yeah, we are. It's really it's, it's getting tougher and tougher. Really, when you think about kind of to your point, the level of feature content, um, the overall size, the the comfort, the things that are in the compact car market. And and I think the beauty about Civic is we've always been kind of that leader. We've been a leader in interior packaging, um, interior, the materials, the quality. Um, I'm actually was really blown away working with the team to the level that we've taken this car from some of the interior craftsmanship and quality. Um, Just again for that pure point to that compact segment. So it's really, uh, we're really raising the bar on this car.
2: Yeah, I mean this thing has real
5: style to it.
2: I, I think uh, folks who've come into compact cars in the last 20 years They just figure, you know, a compacts compact's a starter beater, but uh, this this honeycomb uh, Dash is, is really a style signature for this car overall though Much more understated car than the last generation last generation had these boomerang rear rear, rear taillights uh, Very racy uh, looking car. You've, you've done it back this time uh, seems much more akin to the Accord than to the last generation Civic.
5: There's a, there's a little bit of family resemblance there but actually what we did is we went back to kind of look back at all the, the Civics and kind of picked up on all the timeless values, design values that we've had in the past. I, I mean to your point when we came out with the 10th gen we had this pretty radical kind of a different change but we've also started to say as we come off with a new one we've seen some of our competitors start to move in that direction so the whole idea was okay let's improve upon the 10th generation what do we do to make it You know even better and so we went back and they looked at a lot of the design elements where it's that thin and light and low and wide So I look at this car as actually being more of a little bit more athletic looking than the previous car The other 10th gen was maybe a little bit more playful in its design So this one's just again taking that those timeless values and just kind of applied them to today's kind of standards And uh, I think it's really a timeless Timeless design And, and then of course we've really improved the dynamics steering the handling the NVH. So I think we've made dramatic improvements in the car.
2: Yeah it's, it, it, I think it, it really will age well as, as, as conservative styles uh, tend to do. Um, I, I love what you guys uh, do at Honda in general and ergonomics so you got you got magic seats um, you, you have uh, 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 these uh, big sunken consoles in the, in the Honda minivan. Uh, you guys have done a lot uh, a lot of things differently. Here in this console, compared to the last
5: generation, uh, talk about that evolution a little bit. Well, a lot of it is just to—we wanted to make the car, even though the size is the same, we wanted to kind of give it a more spacious kind of overall feel. So we've really made the thing kind of plain and simple. The ergonomics are phenomenal, everything's at your fingertips. We actually adjusted the shift knob where it goes in relationship to the cup holders. So you aren't bumping your cup holders when you're touching going to the shift knob or when you're using your HVAC. Um, so just little details like that really make a big difference. As far as the overall space, it's pretty consistent with the current car so you can fit, you know, it's very expansive so you have plenty of room to store, you know, your... Your things that you have with you. So,
2: the uh, one of the ergonomic uh, areas you guys have been dinged on was the um, was the touch screen, uh, and and you guys have made uh, some adjustments there. Uh, going back to the Honda CRV that had no knobs on the touch screen. Uh, are, are you guys constantly getting feedback from customers? I know media people. We're, you know, by our nature, we belly ache, but uh, do do you constantly get feedback from
5: customers about touch points like that? Uh, we have feedback on everything and we pay close attention to surveys and and the kind of things that we back from our customers we go out and we we actually visit customers and homes so we have focus groups so one of the things you mentioned like on a button and, and one of the things on our when we launched the 10th gen we didn't have a volume button hmm. but when we did our mmc that's one of the things we heard and we added that volume button at that time so again MMC's mid, mid-cycle, mid-cycle, mid-cycle i'm sorry mid-cycle refresh yes so we do listen um and again it, the connectivity is always an issue. I think with a lot of manufacturers, and we're always continuing to improve on this vehicle. It's the buttons are easier to push. It's a it's a more clear screen. There's um, shorter steps to get to where you're going. It's quicker processing. So we're constantly, you know, improving um, in in that area. And of course, we listen to our customers and find out what their needs are, what their wants are, if they have any issues, and then we respond accordingly.
2: Yeah, I mean, beyond the obvious uh, advances in in electronics uh, that you see from one generation to the next in in, in Hondas and other compacts these days, this car, if you go back a few generations, is the size of an Accord. I I owned a 1992 Accord. I think this is bigger uh, than than that car is. Uh, And yet, when we drive this thing, uh... in anger on nice roads like hell it, it is a fabulous handling
5: car how, how are you able to, to keep this car so nimble even as it grows? Uh, you know, Honda is an engineering company so the, the, the team really focuses on that so the things of just increasing um, you know the uh, uh, just going in and, and and doing lighter weight you know materials um, doing bonding materials Um, adjusting the suspensions Um, everything they do is really contributes to the overall driving dynamics of the car so that's just the focus of of what Honda does yeah
2: Um, uh, some some trends uh, in this segment Uh, some of your competitors are coming in with all-wheel drive Um, talk about your all's decision to to stick with front-wheel drive with uh, with the 11th gen
5: well we we're like 25 percent 25 to 30% of the market and we sell well with the front wheel drive. We've never really had a need to do an all wheel drive. We have our Again, that's where HRE comes in. If someone needs an all-wheel drive, they can go to that. So it's just something that we just really haven't had a strong demand from our customers. We've done very, very well for front-wheel drive, and we stick with that equation. Yeah. Uh,
2: th- this is an enthusiast brand. You get a lot of folks who buy Civics, uh, not just because they're affordable, but because they're fun. you guys still offer a manual transmission?
5: Um, we will not offer it on the four-door. but. Stay tuned for some future iterations. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you got some more fun stuff uh, uh, coming down the line. Um, I, I, I find this size car so pleasing these days. Uh, I'm 6'5". You're a big guy, too. Uh, it's easy to sit in the back seat. we got Lynn Seeley here with us, who is uh, with the communications team at Honda. Uh, Lynn, you look pretty comfortable back there in the back seat. Um, uh, um, how, how, how do you guys... Um, uh, sell this relative to a mid car when really this
5: has all the room you need well we don't really try to compete against the mid-sized car customers may may kind of compare it to it but civic, because civic has this youthful image that a lot of people that are in the mid-size category don't necessarily gravitate towards civic just from because they consider it a young person's car. So um, we do get some cross-shopping, but we really don't try to separate it. Our cord, there is definitely size differences. Even though these have increased in size, the mid-size cars have gotten bigger. So there's a substantial difference between our car and a mid-size. Um, Maybe some of the competitors' mid-sizes aren't quite as big. This car, this is the way we package things. So even though this car even feels more expansive than the current car, the interior is not any different. It just feels... More expensive. It's just the Honda magic of packaging the interior of our cars.
2: Yeah, I, I, you know, you get into some compact uh, luxury cars these days, it's like an Alfa Romeo Julio uh, uh, or a uh, Audi A4. This is a more spacious car than those cars. I mean, it really is. I think a sweet spot in automotive. So, uh, so you come into Civic. Uh, talk about the starting price, and then how how people can step up through the $28,000 Touring Civic I was driving.
5: So we have our LX grade that starts at $21,700, so it's about $450 over the current car that's going away, but we've added standard LED headlights, standard CarPlay and Android, we've increased the screen size, we've we've added four new airbags on the car, so a lot of new features added to the the base car for only $450. As we have to step up to the Sport for $1,400 more, um, that's where you get kind of the, the design elements We get the 18 inch alloy wheels. Next we move to our uh, EX is where we actually introduce the 1.5 turbo engine mm-hmm. comes into play. And then we top out at our turing trim at 28,300, which is exactly the same price as our outgoing model. but we're adding additional features to it like a Bose premium audio system. Um, we have the wireless car play, uh, wireless charging. so we've added, more features and kept the price the same. Yeah, that's pretty extraordinary. The, the, the,
2: and, the and the wireless. There, there are so many people I talk to now. I mean, again, this is this is a, a luxury product. Just a generation ago, uh, you have wireless um, wi- wireless smartphone technology in this car, so people can literally walk into this car with their phone. The car recognizes it. You never have to take it out of your pocket. Um, uh, it, uh, but there is a delineation here within the Civic. Uh yes. the, the, the standard car does
5: does not have wireless you step up to the touring. Uh, Why is that? Um, It's just a lot of it is, you know, you want to try to separate the different trims Hmm. and there's always cost associated with with different features so the whole idea is we, and we talk to our our respective customers, so we we look at a LX customer and what are the key things they want? First and foremost they want CarPlay Android. They don't necessarily ask for the wireless they just want the CarPlay and Android and they of course they want all the safety, um, you know, attributes so we listen to our customers, and then we kind of structure our cars based on who that buyer is for each respective trim. So like on our touring, we may get a little bit older buyer who appreciates and is willing to pay for more of those high-end features, whereas an LX buyer is basically, especially for a parent who's buying it for their, their, their child, is like, oh, I like 10 airbags. I like, you know, the standard Honda suite of safety. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of thing, I mean, the Honda Sensing, sorry, but those are the kind of things that, that going kind to of resonate with with that fire yeah, and keep this vehicle uh, affordable. My uh, last question for you: Honda has a huge footprint
2: in the United States. Uh, the Civic uh, typically has been manufactured in England and in Canada. For the first time, this generation is going to be coming to the
5: United States in Indiana, I believe. Well, that will be for the um, hatchback only. Uh-huh. So the four door will be in in, in uh, still be in Canada. Yeah. And for the first time, though, we will have the hatchback will be in the United States, and that will be. We'll have more information on that later, but it will be in Indiana. Is that because manufacturing in England is going away? That's coming over to the United States? We basically moved uh, the manufacturing, so
2: yes. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's exciting news. Uh, There's a huge Honda footprint here in the Midwest. Dan Calhoun, product planner for the new 2022 Honda Civic. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. This is Henry Payne with 910 AM Car Radio, uh, hanging out at uh holly Oaks or- orv park great place to uh, be great day at the office and i'm with jovina young who is the brand manager for the all-new 2021 ford bronco sport jovina how are you
1: i'm good thank you
2: <laughs> jo- jovina is a is a beautiful first generation american of filipino descent i mean uh, uh, that's one of the things i love about this um metropolitan area you, you, you get such an incredible mix of nationalities from all over the world. They come here to work on cars. Um, It's a pretty special place, Metro Detroit. Detroit.
1: Yeah, you know, I grew up here and you know, it's, it's hard not to be in Michigan and not work part of the automotive scene. So um, both my parents kind of worked in Tier 3 suppliers when I was growing up, and I'm lucky enough to work for Ford Motor Company.
2: Yeah, that's, uh, that's cool. First-generation America, American, second-generation uh, auto uh, worker, did they work for Ford as well?
1: No, they worked for the Tier 3 suppliers.
2: Uh-huh. Um, so uh, a lot of anticipation for the Ford Bronco. I don't think people are as familiar with the Ford Bronco Sport that is coming out with us. This is is a real sleeper car. Uh, Talk about the brand strategy there and how Bronco Sport and Bronco go go together.
1: Yeah, Um, so the Bronco Sport is the Bronco of small SUVs, Um, and when we made the decision to bring Bronco back, One of the things we looked at is what consumers needed out there. And we noticed that there's a huge amount of consumers that are in the small SUV segment that are looking for a rugged, tough SUV for outdoors that are gonna take them to places where they can go skiing and mountain biking, whatever they need. But they they didn't have everything that they were looking for in that segment. So um, we made a decision to bring a, um, a small SUV in the Bronco family lineup. And this vehicle has all the bells and whistles in terms of capability in terms of um a lot of really design thinking as it relates to creating items for the outdoors um and so we're really excited to showcase this vehicle so
2: so, so somebody coming into uh the ford bronco showroom say that, that 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 are attracted by the bronco brand they come in they look at the bronco and they say oh that's 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 expensive um how do how does how does a bronco sport um Uh, buyer look at look at this vehicle versus a Bronco
1: you know I think that they're they're actually kind of two different buyers but a Bronco Mm -hmm. Sport buyer um, doesn't necessarily purchase the Bronco straight for pushing its off-road capability limits Um, they they love the idea of what Bronco and they love the idea about being outdoors with their vehicle um, but they don't necessarily need the vehicle and figuring out what what's for low versus for high um, so we created the Bronco Sport for them, where we've done things to make it a lot easier. If you are off-roading, added things like the Goat modes, so that you can pick a certain terrain and they can manage that for you. The vehicle's truly smart, um, but we've created you know a vehicle that's a lot you know really great and easy to manage during your daily pursuits. So whether you're you know driving around town, but have the capability so that when you are going out camping or that you're going out to the mountains or you're going to the beach, you have the ability to take your vehicle there and the cargo space along with it.
2: Yeah. Uh, the, the other vehicle that's in this uh, segment is the Ford Escape. Mm-hmm. Uh, same, same chassis uh, as this vehicle, uh, also has all-wheel drive uh, capability. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about that customer who comes into a, in, into a Ford showroom, if they uh maybe they're interested in, in an escape and the escape's been around for generations uh what would attract them to a bronco sport instead
1: you know i think when we looked at that small suv segment we noticed that um there are customers who really need that small suv for kind of their daily driving for urban city living um kind of your commuting and needed the refinement all the comfortable pieces of it to, to kind of bring it to light for them and that Is where Escape really comes in and the technology innovation for that type of lifestyle. And then if you come into the showroom and you're saying, you know, I need a small SUV, but I really need it to be rugged and I need the capability for it to take it on dirt roads and and be able to do um, kind of all the things and carry all my gear and carry all my bikes. that's where you're going to lean towards a Bronco Sport and we think that the small SUV segment is, is so large that there are customers who are one or the other.
4: Yeah
2: yeah, the, and it gives you guys, you guys the opportunity to, to, to sort of segment this uh, uh, segment because it is so big. I think uh, uh, Jeep has done a really good job at that and in, in bringing in the Compass as well as the Cherokee into into compacts, but I, I think you guys are, are unique. Uh, in the, 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 that you have uh, the bandwidth of a Ford Escape and a Bronco Sport in the, in the same segment. I don't know that anybody else, they're, they're trying to do that in trims with a Toyota RAV4, for example. Uh, Subaru certainly has that ability with a, with a Crosstrek, but I don't think any, anybody really offers two, two vehicles that are, that are as different in personality as you guys do.
1: Yeah, I think that was part of the strategy as we thought overall in terms of what is Ford offering with their showroom. Um, as you start to see, rather than take a nameplate and split it into two, we felt like it was the segments large enough to have two different vehicles be offered with two different points of view for those customers out there. So um, we do think that this is an advantage
2: for us as a company. I I love this vehicle. I mean, there's a lot of buzz out there for Ford Bronco as you walk up to the Bronco Sport. uh, The the family resemblance is definitely uh, there. Uh, This this vehicle has a lot of personality. Uh, Talk about the oily bits a little bit. It shares the same engine family as the Ford Escape, uh, uh, 1.5, three-cylinder, two-liter, four-cylinder. But then you get into that all-wheel drive train, and it's much more capable.
1: Yeah. um, The... The Broncos Sport um, has the the goat modes, what we refer to, and we, you know, in the Badlands version of the Broncos Sport, we've added two really, really capable um, modes: in the Mud and Ruts mode, as well as the um, Rock Crawl mode. Right? Those are modes that you do, you can't get in an Escape because this is obviously made much more for this, you know, uh, capability for this audience. Um, we've also done things like. Um, the Bronco Sport is shorter um, than the Escape, so it's a shorter length and a shorter wheelbase. And then the architecture—it's got better approach. If you think about off-road, you're going to look at your approach angles and your departure angles and your breakover angles. Um, we've also, on the Valiant version, um, made sure that
2: you're looking about 30-degree approach angle, I think. Yep. Uh, and a
1: 33-degree um, departure. Yeah,
2: and a, and a Bronco uh full off-road bronco is probably what uh uh, 38 something like that 40 maybe
1: yeah i'm i don't want to give you the wrong number on the bronco but yeah 30
2: degrees is pretty good
1: yeah i think especially for this size vehicle 30, 30 degrees is great um and then the other things too like we, we made sure that, especially in the Badlands version of this, we have um, all-terrain tires are standard on this. You have a 27 and a half all-terrain tire, but you can actually option up to a 29-inch all-terrain tire. And those tires are awesome, especially when you're going down steep grades. The tires really, really latch on.
2: Right, one of the uh, things I love, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an on-track. Uh, 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 Performance guy, but I love coming off-road and, and one of the things this vehicle shares With the Ford Focus RS, which is one of my favorite uh, uh, Production track cars ever is you have the same uh, Twin clutch system in the back. I mean that this car really performs when you put your boot in it off-road
1: Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So in the Badlands version, we have a twin clutch rear-drive unit um, on that vehicle and what that does is it allows the torque to kind of go between the left and the right rear wheels um, but it's tuned for the off-road. So kind of the difference between this and the Focus RS version is they've tuned it so that in the off-road, it manages the, the, um, the torque where you need it. So, you, you know, if you're having wheel slip or anything like that, it's, it's managing it so that you have a lot more control and a lot more traction.
2: The, uh, you, you've actually driven this thing in anger, which, which I love. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're, your brand manager in Ford was determined uh, that you would take this thing to the extreme the vehicle we're sitting in as mm-hmm. we're doing this uh, interview up at Hollyoaks RV Park uh, is is a stock Ford Bronco Sport that you took mm-hmm. to the Revel Rally this year yeah, and competed ago. in.
1: Yes, um, I competed in my first <laughs> off-road Revel Rally. Um, what I can say is I am not an off-roader coming into this brand. Um,
2: but, but you're an addict now.
1: Oh my gosh, I think I got <laughs> bit by the off-road bug. I had so much fun on this. But it is a you know, it is an eight day off-roading competition that starts in South Lake Tahoe and ends in the Southern tip of California in the Imperial Sand Dunes in Glamis. Um, and it's over 2000 kilometer drive and you're competing with no GPS. Um, you're really reliant on a map and compass and you're, you're plotting your checkpoints every day. And then it's just a test of kind of self-reliance a test of um, you know your driving capability, and then just a test of like your ability to navigate and figure out where you're going. So um, I think the cool thing about it is, Ford trusted me and my my you know partner, who is another employee at Ford. Both of us are novices, and we volunteered to do this because we wanted to show people it for who've never roaded before that you can do it. You know, we, we've, we trained a little bit in the beginning with just a couple train, you know, trainers who kind of showed us the basics of off-roading, but this vehicle really helped us along. We never really questioned the vehicle to get us through different trains. I mean, we were in Johnson Valley, rock crawling for God's sake, like in some parts of it. And, um, you know, the part that, it was just such a cool experience. For those who've never off-roaded, you get to see sites that you've never seen before. And, um, you know, I, can just just have memories on end from this experience
2: yeah it's, it's a great way to see the country and and there and, and there are things you learned about this car I mean you're you're in product development man brand management you've been through every uh, corner of this car and yet when you take it to the extremes like that you learned things about it what, what impressed you about this vehicle over that eight-day journey
1: you know I think the first thing that impressed me about this vehicle is how easy it is um, to manage like especially for someone like me who's a novice as I mentioned like I I don't want to be confused by thinking about oh my god I'm on this train should I change it to four low or should I change it to high low um, I'm able to just utilize the goat most to do that the other thing that was really helpful was the front camera um, having the front camera to be able to show you what's in front of you especially like you know you, you're on steep hills and you can't see and all you see is blue sky that just gives you a little bit more confidence to know where to place your wheels. Um, so those things are like fantastic. And then all the little things, like we have floodlights on the back of the lift gate of the vehicle, and we camped every single night of the rebel. And one of the nights we happened to camp in the sand dunes, so it's pitch black. There's no lights anywhere around. And what we did was put the three brownfield sports kind of in a horseshoe in a horseshoe shape. And then we put our tents to finish off the circle and then a horseshoe the opposite way. But to do that, we turned on those floodlights so we could see and put our tents up in, you know, in the dark. And that was awesome. Whereas other teams were out there with headlamps on, not much light, trying to see what they're doing, putting their tents up. We had such an easy time.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I love that. And this is all in a $36,000 vehicle. I mean, this, this mm-hmm. kind of uh, capability and, and, and this kind of uh, dexterity um, uh, for folks who, who will never take it to <laughs> to uh, California or to the uh, Revel uh, Revel Rally, um, what, what, are, what, are, what what separates this car as a, as an SUV? The headliner, of course, is the uh, that you can put two bikes right. uh, in the back.
1: Yeah, the, um, you know, I think one of the things you'll notice when you sit in the vehicle is the amount of headroom that you have. Um, so the design team purposely put what we call the safari style roof. There's a step up in the roof, especially for the second row. Um, and that's because of that space, that's why we're able to put two bikes standing up on the inside of the so you got
2: more headroom in this than you wouldn't escape yeah. for that reason.
1: Yes, yes, you would have more headroom in this one, you know, and I think. That's what helps you, you know, I literally lived in this vehicle for 10 days in the Rebel and I never felt cramped because I think the headroom is a huge part of that. Mm. Um, I think the other thing is just all the little um, thoughtfulness put behind this. So like in the rear, we've got, um, there are carabiner hooks in the quarter panels of the vehicle.
4: Yeah.
1: And you know, when I was the Rebel, I I used those to tie down all of our gear so that when we were off-roading, you know, we used the ratchet straps so that they, nothing like flung up at us but even in like daily life i can totally see like taking like even grocery bags and if i don't want them sloshing around in the cargo area just hooking them onto that carabiner hook and it just is holding them in place so there's just a lot of really cool functionality and just usefulness mm-hmm. in this vehicle yeah that,
2: that really is clever uh, uh it, it it reminds me of a of a ford pickup truck, uh, which makes a big deal about tie-downs like that, and then you have that in a compact SUV. It's, it's very clever. If you have, you have, we're sitting up here in the front cab of this vehicle, you have storage space everywhere, mm-hmm. uh, which, again, I, I, I think is underappreciated by manufacturers. I mean, people... And, and I'm looking what you... You you, know, <laughs> you you filled all these little cubbies uh, with stuff. Uh, I, I, people who live in our vehicles, Americans do. I think this is really helpful stuff.
1: Yeah, I think we our designers really thought about every square inch of this vehicle. So even like we're sitting in this vehicle right now, there's a net um, on the passenger side on like right next to where that center console is. Um, I actually never really noticed this net here before until I was in the Rebel and I happened to be navigating. And this is actually where I stored all my, my compasses and my rulers because if I would have stored it in the door and I'm constantly going in and out, I had the risk of it falling out. But having it on this little net piece here really secured it away and it was right within reach or even things like the molly strap system behind the first row um those are very popular in kind of outdoor backpacks and then in these molly strap systems like you could hook up with there's little you know we had like flashlights hooked to it or anything with a carabiner hook you just hook to it and it's all those little things that you just want with you at all times somehow you tend to lose them along the way i feel like this vehicle thought about giving a place for everything or you could decide where everything can go so that all those little things can come along with you as well as the big things like your bike.
2: Well uh, the Jovina Young, this is uh, it's a fantastic vehicle. It's just my, my first uh, experience in it but look forward to seeing a lot of these on the road. It goes on sale.
1: You should start seeing them showing up in dealers um, showrooms by the end of this year.
2: Yeah, and they're and they're hard to miss. This, this is the uh, the baby Bronco we call it, and uh, look look forward to seeing it. Congratulations, uh, Javino, on a on a great vehicle.
1: Great, thank you so much for having me.
3: After January 14th, Microsoft will no longer provide security updates for Windows 7. Continued use will leave your PC vulnerable to security risks. Call All About Technology today at 313-218-4888. We're all about technology.
4: The following message has been brought to you by the doctors of Horsely Foot and Ankle. Thick, dark fungus nails? We treat that. Those hideous bunions and hammer toes? We treat that. What about those thick corns and calluses? We treat that too. I suffer from foot pain and heel pain. We treat that. Even falls, breaks, and sprains? We most definitely treat that. Let the board-certified podiatrist of Horsley Foot and Ankle Surgeons treat all your foot and ankle needs. Call us today at 248-559-5200. That's 248-559-5200. Horsley Foot and Ankle is Metro Detroit's premier foot and ankle specialist. Make your appointment today. Call 248-559-5200. Diabetic feet? We treat that. Painful legs and cramps? We treat that. Numbness and tingling? We treat that too. Horsy foot and ankle treats it all. Make your appointment today. Call 248-559-5200. Join WFBF 910 AM Superstation as we will be bringing you the Rocket Mortgage Classic from the Detroit Golf Club. Listen live as returning champion Bryson DeChambeau plays against Ricky Fowler, Bubba Watson, Phil Mickelson, and the rest of the field. Tune in Thursday, July 1st and Friday, July 2nd from noon to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and Saturday, July 3rd and Sunday, July 4th from 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. You can only listen to the Rocket Mortgage Classic on 910 AM or Sirius XM Radio.
1: I knew I could get myself out of this. I just needed some hope and some help.
3: I took the first step to recovery when I made the call. Since 2014, Addiction Hope and
0: Helpline has answered calls for recovery.